and um, we're in Luke again this morning. Uh, we'll be reading from Luke 21 verses 5 to 19 and then we're going to skip to verse 37 and 38. So Luke 21 verse 5, that's on page 1056 in your pew Bibles. Signs of the end of the age. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left in another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they're about to take place? He replied, watch out that you're not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This will result in you being witnesses to them, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives, and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. This is the word of God. Thank you, Lisa. Um, how are you doing, guys? Freezing? Yeah. Um, just stay as warm as you can. I'll, I'll probably walk about more than usual today just to um, keep, keep a bit of circulation going. Um, I, I realized when I came to start preparing this passage this week that I'd, I'd mucked up. Um, I uh, share the preaching here, as you know, with Richie and with Stephen, and usually I, I get to plan the preaching series, so what I tend to do is go through them, look for any nightmare passages, and then give them to one of the other fellas to do, so normally that works for me, and somehow today I slipped up, and I get to do signs of the ends of the age, um, which um, has been fun to prepare for. Uh, do have that open before you, uh, whatever the page number is there, page 1056. Uh, let's pray. Lord, uh, sometimes when you speak to us, it's, it's very obvious and clear what you're saying. 
Uh, the hardest part is to take it to heart and obey it. Sometimes, though, it's less obvious to us uh, what you're saying and, and how we should receive it. Uh, so in those moments, we need your, your help. Uh, so Lord, we pray you'd be with us today. Help us to, to hear your word and to hear it for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so how is it all going to end? Um, I don't know if you're the kind of person who finds yourself asking that question. Um, I know that throughout my life there were times when I certainly did ask that question. I was a child of the 70s and 80s, the Cold War. There were buttons, big buttons with fingers resting on them. And if somebody pressed that button, we'd just all disappear. We, we knew about the, the nuclear threat and uh, I had a lot of, you know, as a boy, uh, just a sense that this was the way the world was going to end. Then as a young adult, I, I can remember, um, I, I don't know how you uh, heard the news about 9-11. I, I remember being near a TV at the time and um, must have been after the first tower had come down and before the second one came down, it felt, like, it felt like watching a movie for me, except if somebody had made that movie, I would have said it was, it was stupid and unrealistic. Uh, what was happening, in fact, was stranger than fiction. And I remember it in those days thinking, well, where's all this going? This axis of evil, this um, Western society under threat, and, and nowadays, uh, maybe not in quite the same ap apocalyptic way, I, I still have a sense of wondering, where, where, where's this all going to end? Brexit, I, I don't know. For me, the jury's out whether this is actually going to happen or not. Um, I still uh, will wait and see. Uh, the sexual abuse scandals, the end of gender. W where's it all going to end? We're going to come back to that uh, passage when we look at uh, question when we look at today's passage. But before I do that, I want to spend a, wee a few minutes zooming back out. Um, we're in Luke chapter 21 today, but I want to, to have a look at the really the the chunk that we've been dealing with since we reached chapter 19, verse 45. In 1945, we have Jesus entering the temple. And right until the end of chapter 21, which we're dealing with today, it's all to do with Jesus at the temple. So I want to have a look at this section. The temples felt like a big deal right throughout this section, but we haven't taken a lot of time to, to work out why that is. The temple in Jerusalem was one of the wonders of the, the ancient world. If you think of the big buildings in our world today, the you know, Taj Mahal, the, the Louvre in Paris, Sydney Opera House, whatever. In its day, the temple in Jerusalem would have stood alongside any buildings in the world. Solomon had originally built a temple about uh, almost a millennia before the time of Jesus. Uh, that temple was destroyed 400 years later. So what, what was standing in the time of Jesus was a second temple. And actually in the time of Jesus, it probably had scaffolding up around it because it was getting a, a bit of a, a facelift, some extensive renovations being done uh, at the time by Herod. 
it's, it's not just a standalone building, it's a complex of buildings, uh, about a quarter of a square mile, uh, with the temple right at the center. And it's right in the middle of Jerusalem. Uh, for anybody who's ever visited uh, Jerusalem, you'll know that it stands on a hill. So what you have is a temple at the center of a complex in the center of a city standing on top of a hill. It, it's the kind of place that would have dominated the skyline for, for miles around. You would have just seen uh, this white marble building with its, its gold plating. Just a, a beautiful wonder to, to observe. Beautiful building, but its significance isn't architectural. The significance of the temple lies in that it's the center and the, the chief symbol of the whole Jewish religion. Uh, look, I, I didn't realize this until coming to, to prepare for these series on uh, Luke's gospel. Luke makes a big deal of the temple. When he tells a story of Jesus, he tells it as a story of the temple. So if, if you know Luke's gospel, you'll know that an angel appears to Zechariah the priest in the temple. Um, that when he's born, baby Jesus is brought to the temple. You'll know that as a wee boy, he comes back as a 12-year-old to the temple. So Jesus, in Luke's gospel, starts life visibly associated with the temple. And for 19 chapters now, Jesus has been teaching, healing, doing the things that he does. He's been building, I suppose, a movement around himself. And this moment now where he comes to the temple, I think we're supposed to read it like this. We're supposed to say, what is Jesus, the son of God, the savior of the world, what does he think of the temple? What does he make of it? He's coming to have a look around. He's coming to inspect it. What does Jesus make of the temple? And the, the third thing we want to say about the temple, we've talked about its architecture, its central role in Jewish faith. In his commentary on this passage, Michael Wilcox says that the image or the idea of a temple has a deeper meaning still. So if you read across the Bible, Old and New Testament, no matter what kind of a temple it was, or what kind of a, a sanctuary it was, a temple's always the place where you meet God. The place where, where we meet God. That's the, the, the place where God and I connect. So if we run with that for a second, each one of us has a temple. Each one of us has a relationship with God, a place where we meet with God. So whenever Jesus comes to Jerusalem, to the temple there, we're wondering on the one hand, what's he going to make of these central institutions of the Jewish religion? What does Jesus make of the temple? But there's another question we ought to have in our mind. What does he make of my temple? The, the place where I meet with him? How ready is this Jewish temple to be a place for people to meet with God? How, how ready am I to be meeting with God? Now that we've set the scene, we can have another quick look at this material that we've covered uh, around Jesus and the temple. Right at the start, chapter 19, verse 45, we read that Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. 
in the old days, this passage was called the cleansing of the temple. That's what it said in your Bible above this passage. And it's a good title because that's what Jesus did. He cleansed the temple. Actually, what's become clear to me since is that it shouldn't really just be that paragraph that's called the cleansing of the temple. The whole period he spent in the temple, he's cleansing it. Um, on, the, on the one hand, he cleansed it of the, the robbers, but he's, he's cleansing it of other things too. So we've been looking at these passages the last two or three weeks, and as Richie and Stephen and I have preached them, we've been looking mostly at them as sort of entrapment passages where Jesus is uh, debating or arguing with the religious leaders. Today we're going to look at them as temple cleansing passages very, very quickly. If Jesus had to clean the temple of his day, it's likely that he may still have to do some similar cleaning in the temple of our lives. The first thing that Jesus needs to clear out of the temple is rebellious religion. It, it might be useful to flick in Luke's gospel here. Just to, We're taking two minutes on each of these paragraphs, less probably. Chapter 20, verses 1 to 18, Richie preached this passage for us a few weeks ago. Jesus is teaching in the temple, uh, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they don't want anything to do with it. They don't like that he's shown up in their temple. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority? It's ironic, isn't it? God has come to his temple and people are saying, we, we don't want you here. It's crazy, but that's, that's what's happening. So Jesus tells his parable of the vineyard and he makes it clear that things aren't going to go well for those people who don't accept the king when he comes among them. It's interesting to me, I just, I don't know. It's, it's, it always seems to be the religious people in the Gospels who don't want Jesus. You don't want to be a minister and read the Gospels or a church leader or an elder or a Presbyterian communicant. I'll, I'll, I'll close the circle in again around me. You don't want to be a religious person because they always seem to be the people who are keeping Jesus out. It's interesting what uh, Jesus says in his parable, verse 13. The vineyard owner says, I'll send my son whom I love, perhaps they'll respect him. That's what Jesus wants. God wants. He wants respect for his son. And anybody who doesn't submit to and respect his son has a problem. If you reject the cornerstone, don't be surprised if your temple comes tumbling down. Jesus wasn't just content to sweep away um, the, the rebellious religion he found in the temple, but also the religious uh, religion. What do I mean by that? There's, there's an idea or there's a way of... Uh, being a, a leader in a church or in a community of God's people where you try to divide the world into what's spiritual and what isn't. And Jesus challenges that in this, this we section. Jesus challenges that. Do you remember the section of paying taxes to Caesar? In the narrow view of these Jewish religious leaders, they think that there's 
a sacred world and a secular world. And that no one God could possibly speak to both. And Jesus, of course, won't have that. He says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. He talks about the secular world and how to live in it. And he says, give to God what is God's. It's the whole of life for Jesus. There is no sacred secular divide. One thing I've noticed, I've been reading Matthew's gospel with the book by book guys this month. One thing I cannot get away from is the, the earthy realness of Jesus. He's not into religious life. He's not into spiritual life. He's just into life. There only is life a full life to be lived before God. You can't divide your life into watertight compartments, uh, Sunday, church, Christian things, things that God's interested in on the one hand, and then Monday to Saturday, my workplace, my colleagues, my neighborhood, things that God isn't interested in on the other hand. No, take down the wall and live life. That's what Jesus calls us to. Long before Abram Kuyper made his famous quotation, Jesus Christ came and he stood before his disciples and he said, there's not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which I, who am sovereign over all, do not cry mine. Every square inch belongs to him. Jesus is sweeping away a religious religion He's sweeping away rebellious religion. Last week in the passage in verses 20 to 27 to 40 of chapter 20, uh, Stephen dealt with this stuff about uh, marriage at the resurrection. So there's some Sadducees that have come to Jesus with this question. It's, it's dressed up as a biblical question, uh, but, it, but it isn't really. And Jesus isn't drawn in. He, he basically says, don't come to me with your questions about the minutiae of the Bible when you haven't even tried to discern the big picture. A religion that doesn't take God's word seriously, that isn't interested in hearing what God has to say, it's going to be swept out of the temple. Tell me this, do you ever go to a Bible study and make sure that you don't come away with the actual meaning of it? I think I've done that. Because the real meaning of it is too demanding and I'd rather find a nice way to sidestep it. It's going to be swept away. Thoughtless religion in verses 41 to 47. Jesus takes on, he's still with, working with the Sadducees here. He, he takes on a thoughtless religion. That is, people who just haven't taken the time to think it through. He asked them a question about his identity. Um, Luke records that they, they have no answer to give. They haven't come to terms with who Jesus really is. They have these very strong opinions about him. Within a few days, they'll ask for him to be crucified, but they haven't thought through who he is. Have you? Some of us have been knocking around 
this church or other churches like it all our lives? And we haven't resolved this yet. Who is Jesus Christ? Why did he come? What does he want from me? If those questions are unresolved in our lives, then we haven't, we haven't done the work, we haven't thought it through. There's one last type of religion that Jesus sweeps away in this visit to the temple. And we looked at it a couple of weeks ago when we uh, thought together about giving to God. Uh, really, the thing that Jesus was noticing with his disciples that day, uh, those early verses of chapter 21, he, he noticed some people making a big show of their giving to God. They were making sure it was public, making sure it was seen. Jesus just wasn't impressed. He was able to see through it all. He saw that their big, big giving was really just loose change out of their wealth. I said at, uh, at the time when we looked at this passage, you can't pull the wool over Jesus' eyes. You just can't. It doesn't work. We'd love to. What could be better than pretending and getting away with it? Any part of our religious practice, any part of our lives that's just for show is going to be swept away. Jesus is real. He's really real. He's the most real person we'll ever confront. Anything that's not real about us will be swept away. So Jesus came to the temple in those days before he went to his death and he cleared it. He showed it for what it was and he set about it deep clean. It's probably been evident right throughout uh, these last few weeks. The, the Jewish religious establishment, they didn't want that deep clean. They wanted things as they were to remain untouched. And Jesus wouldn't allow things to remain untouched. And they're on a collision course. And it's a fight to the death. We've reminded ourselves of the context. We're going to deal quite quickly, just the last few minutes, with the passage that's before us this morning. Chapter 21, verses five to 38. It begins with a, what almost feels like a parting shot. Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple at this point. And on their way out, uh, I'm imagining the fellas are looking around and they say, just look at this place. It's beautiful, isn't it? Look at those uh, gifts dedicated to God over there. Look at those beautiful stones over there. So they're walking out there, they're just loving the building and the architecture, and Jesus astounds them. He says, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. What's he talking about? Is he talking about the temple, the physical building, or 
is he talking about all that it symbolizes too? The Jewish religious institution. In the rest of chapter 21, Jesus looks into the future. He answers their question. He talks about two things, right? You need to concentrate here for a second and you might, you might go away understanding this passage. That's, as, that's my promise, all right? It's as much as I'm gonna offer. I think he's talking about two different things, two different judgments, one that's coming quite soon and is gonna land on the temple in Jerusalem and the Jewish system. And there's a, a, another judgment a judgment where Jesus finally comes to judge the world. It's not always easy to see which is which, but if we hold our nerve and if we, we bear in mind that we're talking about the temple here, I think that might help us to understand this passage. Jesus talks here about a couple of realities that he wants us to understand. The future of the Jerusalem temple on the one hand and the future of every human being's temple on the other. So, the future of the, the Jewish temple. Jesus and Judaism are in conflict. They're not gonna back down and he's not. It's a fight to the death. A lot of people in this room know where this goes, how this story is gonna go in the next few chapters. We're gonna see that there is bloodshed, there is death, and it's Jesus who dies. It looks as though the Jewish religious leaders have got what they wanted. They've got rid of him. They've destroyed his temple. Jesus is gone. There's a key piece of Jesus' temple teaching that Luke doesn't have in his record, but John, the gospel writer, has in his. He says that, he records Jesus saying, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And John goes on to say, he's talking about his body. He's talking about himself. If you destroy Jesus in three days, he'll be raised up. And when that happens, he will become the temple forever into the future. He becomes the place where you meet God. So folks, it's not Jesus' temple that's finally destroyed. We're gonna have a chance to think about that more in the weeks to come. It's, it's knocking down and it's raising up. It's the Jerusalem temple that is destroyed. If you look at the paragraph from verse 20 to 24, that's what it's talking about. This Jerusalem temple that Jesus and his disciples are standing in that day, it stood for another 40 or so years. And then the armies from Rome came and they flattened it. And that was the end of the Jerusalem temple and the system that had worked alongside it for a thousand years. It became a public and historic fact. So Jesus' stark message here that day in the temple is that this temple's coming down and it happened within the lifetime of some people who heard him say it. 
What does he have to say to the rest of us? Those who are, I suppose, the rest of humanity, everyone else beyond that moment in time tied up with that historic Jewish temple. What's going to become of our temple? The place where we meet with God. Well, if you look back to verse 7, there's a wee thing I want you to notice there. We're nearly done. The disciples, they heard Jesus teach that the temple was going to be pulled down. Then they ask a question. What will be the sign that these things are about to take place? So this whole passage is an answer to that question. It's all about signs. And Jesus gives two types of sign. He gives signs of the end and signs of the age. Once we get that distinction, I think the passage can work for us. A bit more manageable. Signs of the end. I'll show you a couple of these. Look at verse 20. Jesus gives the sign for the end of temple Judaism. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you'll know that its destruction is near. Whenever you see Rome on the horizon in all its might, you won't be in any doubt that the time has come and the party is over for this form of Judaism. Look to verse 27. Here's another sign of the end, but it's a sign this time of the end of the world. At that time, you'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and with great glory. When I come in all my glory and when I return, you'll know that the curtain's coming down on human history. Now the interesting thing about these signs, the sign of the end doesn't come till the end. You see it just before it happens. Jesus is discouraging that, that sort of spiritual, theological fortune-telling. I, I don't know about you. I, if the world had ended the number of times I was told it was going to end, even in my lifetime, it would have ended a load of times. There, there are formulas people have, ideas in their head about this is the end of the world, that's the end of the world. Jesus says, no, you'll see it when it comes. The signs of the end of the age, just as much as the Jews in AD 70 would have seen the Roman armies, you'll see me when I come. The other sign, signs of the age, it doesn't tell you about the end, it tells you about the times in which you're living. Let me show you a couple of these. Between Jesus' first and second coming, there are going to be times of trouble in the world on a global and a general scale. Verses 8 to 11, have a look. That's all your stuff about wars and rumors of wars. Jesus says these things are going to happen before I return. More specifically, there'll be periods of persecution for the church, verses 12 to 19. It spells it out. If you're my follower... There will be seasons, there will be times when that will be a hard road. None of those things, he says, are going to help you predict the end. I'm just telling you what's going to happen and what it will be like. But 
Jesus does tell us, I think, he gives us a pastoral intervention in the middle of all this hard to understand stuff. What's the take home? How do you live? Verse 36. He says, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that's about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Folks, let me be clear about this from God's word today. Life is not about predicting when the world will end. That, that, that's not what we ought to be spending our time and giving our energy to. Life is about being ready for the end whenever it comes. Knowing that I'm ready to stand before God and his son, Jesus Christ. Knowing that I've submitted myself to him and trusted him. Have you done that? That's where I think this passage needs to land with us. Are we ready to stand before the Son of Man? So how's, how's it all going to end? I don't know. I'm even more clear that I don't know now than I was at the start of the week when I started to study this. I don't know how it's going to end, but I do know who I'm going to be with at the end. Forgive me for another Lord of the Rings moment. I don't know how many of these we've done over the years, but we've done a few. There's a, a line I love from near the very, very end of the story. So Frodo and Sam are on the slopes of Mount Doom. It's exploding all around them, um, crumbling to, to bits, lava flowing everywhere. They're, they're exhausted. Um, they've lived in physical danger, mortal danger, for, for as long as we can remember in the story. Mordor itself, the whole landscape, is melting into this virtual apocalypse. And they don't know how this is going to end. And Frodo turns to Sam and he says, I'm glad that you're here with me at the end of all things. For those who are in Jesus Christ, we can say, I, I'm glad that you're here with me at the end of all things. Folks, I don't know how the world's going to end. I don't know how my life is going to end. But I do know this. I know that he'll be with me at the end. Because he's told me he will. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray.
Lord, um, you've brought us to an uncomfortable place today in your word. We don't like to think about how it's gonna end for us or for this world. And when we do take time to think about it, our uncertainties and our fears rise in us. They can begin to strangle us, Lord. Lord, thank you for the the wonderful comfort that we can take, that we can know that whatever happens in this world, whatever wars there are and rumors of wars, whatever uneases there are, whatever problems the, the globe experiences and we experience, Lord, we don't know how any of this will play out in the end. But thank you that you've promised that if we're in Jesus Christ, Jesus, that you will be with us to the very end. Lord, I pray that that knowledge would put a huge smile on our faces today. It would give us a a rock on which to stand. It would give us a path on which to walk through this life with everything that's uncertain and difficult around us. Lord, let us live today and this week and the rest of our days with these words ringing in our ears. I will be with you to the very end of the age. Thank you. Amen.